Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Two questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? And the second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. But before we jump in, Have you told anyone recently about the Restoring the Soul podcast? We sure would appreciate it. It only takes a second to click the share button. I'm excited to introduce today's episode as Michael spends time with a good friend, singer-songwriter, Andy Gullihorn. Now, it's been said that music in itself is healing. And if you have attended a Surfing for God intensive weekend, you may be familiar with Andy's music as he's been a guest and ally in the restoration of hearts. Andy's weapon is indeed a melody. So we're going to kick off and close today's podcast with a few songs of his. In just a moment, you'll hear Not Too Late from the album Fault Lines, and we'll conclude with The Secret from the album Room to Breathe. You can find Andy's music in all the usual places. But if you'd like to find out even more about him, visit andygullihorn.com. You're so good. Yeah, yeah. 
Welcome to Restoring the Soul. We're already chuckling before this starts. Thanks for having me. Well, we've tried to do this a couple of times uh, with false starts, and a couple of those have been face-to-face, and one was a technological failure on my part. But uh, I'd like to just start by having you share a little bit about who you are and what you do as a songwriter. Yeah. Originally a Texas boy, moved to Nashville 25 years ago because I loved writing songs. And imagine that I would, uh, I wanted to write songs for other people so that they would go out and do all the work. And I would just get money in my mailbox. And then I wrote for publishing companies for a while and realized that nobody else was going to sing my song. So I have to sing them myself and started traveling around and playing my own songs and then realized that I really loved doing that. And I've been doing that ever since. Most of my time is on the road playing different shows or conferences or retreats or whatever. And I'll still write with uh, other artists. And that pretty much takes up all my time. Well, that and my three kids and my wife. Yeah. And you're, you're deeply committed to them um, as I know, but you also spend a lot of time on weekends on the road and you have kind of a unique focus where you've performed in a lot of big venues like Red Rocks, which is for many 
performers kind of a, a dream, but you also do a lot of smaller gigs and you work a lot with retreats and uh, sometimes with different ministries around recovery. So tell me about that and how that happened. Well, I think I don't know exactly how it started. Um, I like to think it's, well, I would say my top demographic are, are therapists. I think the reason why therapists sometimes like my music is because I'm using their language because I've had to have a lot of therapy myself. So it just gets infused into the songs. And so uh, one therapist might hand it off to another. And um, like, I think maybe you heard about my music through Al, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't even remember. Yeah, initially through Al Andrews and then through Nate Larkin and then Ian Cron and I were having a conversation. He goes, dude, you need to you need to meet Andy Gullihorn. And then we finally met at the Telemachus conference. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so there are things like that where uh, well, a number of people would say, hey, I'm doing this conference or I'm doing this retreat and I was going to use one of your songs in the context of the retreat. But would you be interested in coming? And I'd always say yes and started saying yes a long time ago. And I find myself at a lot of retreats, like like the fabulous one that, that you're part of there in, in Colorado, um, where I kind of go to play songs, but I love uh, being in the recovery world and the therapeutic world, and it's good for me. And so playing songs just becomes a small part of it. I like participating. Um, and so before I knew it, I was doing a lot of things in, in the recovery world or the therapy world. And I never had a five-year plan for my music. I just figured I would write the songs that I'm writing and see what doors they open. And I just kind of try to walk through them when they're open. And I never imagined there would be like a, uh, addiction circuit. Uh, but I'm glad that I found it. Yeah, and in some ways, it's kind of under the radar where uh, a lot of the the uh, concerts that you do and the performing, they're not, you know, these big publicly uh, announced things. Like I get emails from different you know, Christian promoters and things like that, where, you know, the latest, greatest person is, is at an arena. And again, although you've done some of that, yours is more under the radar, which I think is really kind of cool. It's pretty fun. I, I think my music works better in a more intimate, personal setting. And I also like being able to get to know the people I'm playing songs for so that I know what to play. And so when most people look at my schedule, a lot of people will say, oh, it looks like you're not doing much music anymore. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've been traveling more than I ever have. It's just not – they're not normal shows that I would – publicize and say you can come buy a ticket for but i do love those those smaller uh smaller places to play music because hearing the stories and getting to know people and then playing songs for them it's just it feels so much better to me you mentioned that you uh played our weekend the surfing for god weekend intensive and i think you've been there for maybe six of those weekends and you are just a, a really really crucial part of that um but there's not a week or a couple weeks that go by that myself or one of our therapists doesn't use one of your songs or recommend one of your songs as an assignment. 
when people are here from day to day, just because you do really write to the heart of people. And um, if anybody's listening and they're a therapist, a caregiver, spiritual director, um, Andy's music is, is really profound for that. And with your permission before and after this interview, I want to play some clips of songs. Sure. As long as it's not stuff you've recorded on your phone. <laughs> it makes me kind of feel like Jay Leno or Jimmy Fallon saying, Hey, and I think we have a clip here for the audience, <laughs> but it's going to be that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. And I also want to say in terms of your involvement on the weekend, you know, you, you come and uh, you're a brother and a colleague to myself and, and so many of the staff that are there to serve people. And it's almost like a surprise when you do music. And it's always cool to see when men will say, oh, you know, this guy was just sitting having a conversation with me at dinner or he was leading my group. And, you know, I didn't know that it was Andy Gullihorn, the, the singer songwriter, which is really fun because um, you are somebody with a big impact in the music world, but you're just a normal guy. And that's the best thing about you. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying that. And I know that we're speaking about you being under the radar, but I also know that you have a lot of respect uh, from musicians and songwriters in Nashville and around the country. Well, I mean, I guess that's debatable. Well, and if listeners could see the video that I'm watching right now, you're blushing. You're, you've got this, <laughs> you've got this aw shucks kind of thing. I, I have been. Nashville's a really great music community, and you know if you stick around long enough and try to write songs uh, that will stick around too, then uh, you make some really good friends. I'm really grateful for that. Hey, tell me about how your first ever gig. I think you were 16 years old, if I remember the story correctly. You actually played with Willie Nelson, and you showed me a picture of it because I didn't believe it. It's a weird story, but I, I started playing guitar in high school and learned it pretty quickly because I played piano when I was a, when I was real little, so I had a musical background, and then just got the bug to play guitar in high school, and I learned a bunch of country music. That's all I listened to, so I could play a bunch of country songs. And there was a woman who used to work with my dad who had a country cover band that she was in and they were playing some uh, event at a fire hall outside of Austin. And she asked if I wanted to come play rhythm guitar. And I said, sure. So that was my first gig. And I went and I was just playing acoustic guitar for all the country songs that they were playing, but it was right by Willie's ranch and it was his birthday he just walked up. We're playing in the kind of the garage of the fire hall and people were dancing in the driveway and Willie walked up and he knew the lady who was a singer and they asked him to play some songs and he ended up playing for a very long time. And so then I was just there playing guitar with Willie Nelson. For my <laughs> first show. Uh, it, was, it was a great uh, photo op. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And but it wasn't like I met him and we became friends. He he would just tell me what key each song was in. And then at the end I said, thanks Willie. And he says, thank you. And that was it. What was it like at that age, first gig to, to, to be standing on a, you know, stage or, or floor with Willie Nelson? I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I felt that like I was, it was a pretty cool thing, but, um, I also knew, oh, man, it's going to be all downhill from here. It's a horrible <laughs> way to go. 
Yeah, it's all downhill from here. That's yeah. Yeah, you don't want to peak too soon. Yeah, that's 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 really peaking too soon. We could go through a list of artists who, after their their first gig, it went all downhill from there. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, one of the things I, I, I love about you, Andy, and I, I saw this from the very first moment we met face-to-face, is that you have an, a very unorthodox way of kind of seeing life. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about your songwriting is that you 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 see things and you can put words to things in a way that most people don't. But when they hear it, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that that's that's something I can relate to. But, you know, you're a bowler and you're a badminton player, a very competitive one. And then you just you just have different ways of responding to, for example, even Christian fellowship. So tell me the story, what you've called before the high five story, because I think this is a, a picture of just kind of how you do life. There's a friend of mine named Gabe Scott, who's also a musician, and he's been on this tour with me that I've been a part of for the last 17 years called Behold the Lamb of God. It's Andrew Peterson. He's a wonderful singer-songwriter. Um, he started that 20 years ago. And so we'd be on the tour every December, and I'm kind of the activities director. It's not a, like a paid position. It's just that I like activities, and so uh, I direct activities. And Gabe is also competitive and and likes playing sports and that kind of thing. So we would always play games and sports throughout the whole tour. And then at the end of every tour, we would say, hey, we need to hang out more the rest of the year. And then we would go our separate ways. He'd be playing guitar for somebody and I'd be on the road and we wouldn't see each other again for 11 months. And then we'd be sad that we didn't hang out the rest of the year. So after a number of years of making empty promises of hanging out, um, I just had this idea. Uh, one night at a party we were at together that he told me that he moved a mile and a half from my house. So I suggested that I was going to text him later that, that week and we would leave our houses at the same time and walk to the middle point and give each other a high five and then walk back home. And then I told him if we did that once a week for 10 years, then we could probably make it on our wife's favorite TV show, which is CBS Sunday morning. It's a kind of story. <laughs> there. And, um, he was up for it. So we started that week. We just, you know, on a Wednesday, I just texted him and we walked in the middle point is a, is a park called severe park here in Nashville, Tennessee. And we gave each other a high five and talked for like three hours and then walked back home. And then, uh, we had to cut down the three hour talking time, but, uh, we've been doing that every week for about five and a half years. And it really has become, some people laugh when I say this and I halfway laugh when I say it, it's become one of the, the more important spiritual disciplines in my life of walking for 30 minutes just to give this guy a high five. And sometimes we'll talk, sometimes we'll shoot baskets there at the park. It kind of, uh, about four years ago, we, we discovered that on Monday mornings at that park at the, in the gym, they play badminton. So we had this 86 year old man teach us how to play badminton and then, uh, we've been playing it ever since. It's amazing to me how much that has transformed my life. Not only is he in my life a lot more now, I mean, we see each other multiple times a week. Um, really just knowing that there's another person who literally walks through the snow sometimes just to give you a high five, uh, it does me good in my life. 
So just to be clear, because you talked about how sometimes you'll shoot baskets or do badminton, and I like how you pronounce it with the end, badminton, which is badminton. the pronunciation, yeah. that sometimes, or more often than not, you'll just walk the 30 minutes, meet in the middle of this mile and a half, give each other a high five, and kind of turn around. Yeah, that, that's the uh, silent high five, which I think the first time we did a silent high five was maybe a month into it when we discovered it takes a lot of time to walk 30 minutes and then talk for, you know, two hours. So we were just too busy and said, Hey, I don't have time to talk, but we, we devised this plan where we would get to the middle point and then pass each other and walk 20 paces and turn around and then give each other five and, and not say a word. And that one, well, at least the first time it felt like that was pointless walking there. I remember being, uh, really down on it on the way there thinking why am I even doing this this is stupid there's no way I'm going to do this for 10 years and the whole point is to spend time with my friend and I don't get to spend any time with him I'm just giving him a five and walking back home and after giving him the five I just felt I could feel immediately how purposeful it was it's just the intention and the showing up and the showing up uh, over and over again over a long period of time and that, that's just a, a good example of the way that it's invaded my life. And I think in, uh, especially in, in terms of recovery, that's one of the most important things for me in my life, having uh, kind of showing up again and again, again and again over a long period of time, just being consistent. Yeah, it makes me, not to have to make it religious, but it makes me think of the whole idea of being faithful in small things and Mm -hmm. how I can so easily underestimate how small things done again and again really matter, especially relationally. Yeah, and I I mean, for me, I like to think, I was always the kind of guy who would think, oh, this is the kind of man that I want to be. I Wouldn't it be awesome to have a story where I walked and gave a friend a high five every week for 10 years? (laughs) <laughs> but I can never get started and do it. Like what that takes is actually the first week of walking a mile and a half and doing it. And then the second week, and actually the, I remember after we had, we had a, a, um, the first year we had a bunch of guys come and walk with me. And some, some guys walked with Gabe. It was kind of a celebration of the first year. Actually our friend Kurt Thompson was there for the first uh, anniversary high five. I remember the week after the year, I was like, oh, man, now nine years left. This is going to be hard. So, so there are definitely seasons where it's like, oh, I can't believe I'm, this is getting way harder to do. And now at five and a half years, it, it, it really just feels like it's part of my life. And you're right not to, you know, have to put a spiritual uh, point on it. But it reminds me of... I was in my mind, I always go back to this time, maybe 16 years ago when I went to go see a spiritual director. Uh, I was going through a lot of hard things in my life. And I decided that because of these hard things, I was ready to be a spiritual grown up. I always wanted to do things like have a quiet time or read the Bible or pray, you know, do things that real grown ups do. And I sucked at it really bad. And I went to the spiritual director who I loved he reached out to me in the middle of this hard time said, Hey, would you like to come talk with me? And I was like, Oh, I'd love to. And I went and I expected to tell him, you know, everything that's going on in my life. And then 
for him to take me under his wing and make me a you know spiritual Jedi like he was. <laughs> and so he listened to me say that I wanted to do all these, you know, spiritual disciplines. And and after he listened to me, he said, well, do you, do you like reading? And I said, no, I fall asleep every time I start reading. It's not just the Bible. It's everything. I just don't like reading. I can read. I'm literate, but I, I don't like it. And then um, he said, well, do you like getting up early in the morning? I said, no, I hate getting up early in the morning. That's why I'm a, a musician. And then he told me that his greatest spiritual discipline was walking his dog on the golf course because he loved walking his dog on the golf course. And so he just told me, you need to just find something that you really love to do. Like that really brings you joy and trust that God will meet you there. Don't don't do it the other way around. And I remember as a 20 something year old, I don't remember how old I was thinking that was just a cop out that I was going to, you know, decide that what I really love to do was, you know, play blackjack and God's going to need to meet me there, which he totally could. But, um, you know, years later with things like the high five, I look back and with badminton and with my bowling league and these kinds of things, those things really bring me joy. And I see the way that God has met me there and, and has um, not just made my life better, but made me more interested in a, a deeper relationship with him. My guess is that you don't spend that 30 minutes walking, thinking about God the whole time, or that that's even your intention, but it's, it's the act of doing it. That is a rhythm and a ritual that's meaningful. Totally. Totally. It just kind of seeps in to me, the spirituality just kind of, it's not, yeah, it's not an intentional spiritual discipline like oh this morning you know i'm gonna do the sign of the cross and walk out the door and you know pray the rosary on the way to a high five it's just like doing that um and the experience of it is spiritual to me and it's good for my soul which brings up this whole beautiful wide topic of how everything is spiritual and you mentioned andrew peterson because of you I was able to get his, uh, there's a book that uh, I think Doug McKelvey is the name. Doug McKelvey, yeah. Yeah, and so Andrew and his Rabbit Room organization, Andrew wrote the preface to Every Moment Holy. And all of our staff got that to go through for 2020. And Andrew wrote this phrase in the preface where he said, there are no unsacred places only sacred places and desecrated places. Mm. And um, the walk is sacred. It's spiritual. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It also reminds me of our relationship with God, where over the last several years, more and more of my prayer life, uh, when I said I don't really have much of a prayer life, has deepened through silence and through not saying anything. So when you talk about the walk and then the silent high five in particular, that that God is there giving us the high five, whether we're performing or doing anything, you know, profoundly spiritual as we might typically think of that. And that oftentimes the most intimate kind of thing is silence. Hmm. I found that to be the case for me. I mean, even thinking about going to that spiritual director years ago, I think that 
the kind of relationship with God that I was longing for. And I thought I would get by, you know, checking off the boxes of having a quiet time in this way or whatever I, I learned from, you know, Christian camps growing up. Um, I feel like I have, I'm closer to that in not end result, but like kind of a real experience and relationship with God. And it didn't come from any of those things for me. Um, it came from participating in, in uh, what's happening in my life and, and trying to walk through life awake, not sleepwalking. But also, yeah, you're right. The silence, the walk, the 30 minutes of walk there and back. Sometimes I might be thinking about something in particular, but just being there and being in my body and doing something I love uh, or playing badminton for two hours. That's just, a, uh, you know, He's there too. And it brings joy. Mm -hmm. I love how you mentioned being in your body, you know, walking, badminton, uh, they're physical. And we're both learning, and we've talked about this, about how spirituality really is embodied. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely, that has definitely been my experience. Because especially coming from a place where I felt like anything spiritual is just what I think or what I say. And moving away from that uh, to a more embodied version of it, it also kind of takes the pressure of controlling my spirituality out of my hands. What do you to mean me by, by controlling your spirituality? I think that's important. I think of it as, oh, if I think these right theological thoughts, or if I say the right prayers, or if, I, if there's some way for me to figure out mentally, um, how to get from point A to point B, whether that's, I mean, closer to God, which I don't, I don't even know exactly what that means. Um, but it's kind of, to me, it's a surrendering of figuring out. That's one of the things I love about the 12 steps is accepting that um, my thinking is broken and so I can participate in something that's already happening and I can surrender versus trying to, you know, where it's all about me trying to figure it out or have the right thoughts or, or have the right words. Uh, I can just move out of my head. Not, not that like my mind has nothing to do with it, but it's not all in my head. Yeah. That it actually becomes experience. Hey, before we wrap up, I want to come back to what you said about being awake that's a big word for you. That's a word that I've used more and more in terms of my growth and trying to learn what it means to be a relatively healthy human. What does it mean for you to be awake and to wake up? And why is that important? First of all, from a songwriting standpoint, which is what I love to do and what I feel like in some ways I'm put here on earth to do. Um, Talking to songwriters, one of the biggest pieces of advice or things I would say is a job of a songwriter is to not sleepwalk through the world. So uh, from a songwriting standpoint, it's just paying attention to the conversations around me and, and looking for whether it's watching TV or hearing conversations walking down the street, listening for the conversations for something that might be for me in there that I can a phrase that would stand out and I could say, Oh, that 
I really like that phrase. I wonder if I can turn it this way or use it. You know, if I was going to write a song about that, what would it be? So just always looking for lines for songs, just kind of walking through the world, always paying attention. But then outside of the songwriting world, that's what it is. It's like, it's an expectation that there's something for me here in what I'm doing, whether that's, you know, at church or at a retreat or bowling or whatever it is. It's just this trying to walk through life with, with an expectation that there's something for me here that, uh, that I'm looking for. And if I, when it happens or I experience it, it's, it's going to change me. So and, to me, that's what it is, you know, not sleepwalking, kind of being aware is, you know, it's not like I'm actually um, just vegging out or something like that. But to me, the opposite of being aware or what sleepwalking would look like is just to assume that there's nothing for me here. And I'm just going to go through the motions with zero expectation of being changed by what I'm doing. I love that. It's more than just that sleepwalking is depressed or numb, but it's really about awareness and attentiveness. And then as you talk about uh, that there's something for you, it's this anticipation and expectation of receiving good things. I experience that every time I'm on a Restoring the Soul, uh, a Surfing for God weekend, where, you know, I've been there a few times before. I know kind of what happens there. Every time it's like the first time, kind of going with the expectation that who knows what it's going to be. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. It could be a conversation with somebody else on staff or somebody who's attending the weekend. Um, God always shows up and the kind of, I, I get really excited about that. Just kind of showing up like, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. There's something for me here and I'm going to be part of something. And there's just an excitement to it. That's cool. Well, I, I want to be more that way. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy being about you being with you is I, I want to be more like that. So we need to wrap up and I can't wait to see you in about five weeks in Colorado. Thank you for the gift that you bring to the world of music and songwriting and um, andygullahorn.com is your website tells all about your music, but um, thanks for your time today, brother. Thank you. Back when Charlie was a boy Somebody handed a secret down With a long list of unwritten rules So he died before he let it out He carried it like a silver dollar In the pocket of his heart Cried out for some room to breathe But his pride just kept it in the dark And the darkness was like a rainfall to a flower I needed it to grow And the roots kept digging deeper Till they wrapped their wretched arms around his soul secret go I 
boy soon became a man. He thought he was too strong to lose. Surrounded by a wife and friends, who knew everything about him except the truth. Like a double-edged sword in someone else's hands. He knew his friends would listen, but he never thought that they could understand. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.